You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain adult language, conversations surrounding adult situations that may not be suitable for younger listeners, as well as spoilers for the films discussed on this podcast. You have been warned. Now, come on in. Okay, we're back. 
It is episode 109 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. I'm your host, Lee Russell, joined by my two co-hosts, Daniel Harper. How you doing, sir? Doing well. Thank you. And Paul Romali. How are you doing, sir? Excellent. Right. So we're going to be looking at Sorcerer from 1977 this time around. Before we do that, we got one little comment to get to here. Uh, I put out a request for comments on Facebook. That's our Facebook page. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. The single best way to get in touch with us and have your comments read and responded to on the show from the Facebook group, Martin Stone Hennessy. The Simpsons spoof the bridge sequence in the Mr. Plow episode for the benefit of Friedkin, who was uh, a fan of The Simpsons, apparently. So, uh, and now that I think about it, yeah, the, I have probably haven't seen that Mr. Plow episode for 15 years or more now, but now I think about it, yeah, that actually did have a bridge sequence on it. Yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. obvious lift. Yeah. Never occurred to me before, but uh, there you go. Uh, so thanks for the comment there, Martin. I guess we can just move on to what we've watched lately, and I know uh, both my co-hosts don't really have anything to mention, so... I don't really like I, movies, so... Yeah, there you go. So, uh, I'll just briefly mention something I watched. Um, I've actually been watching a lot of stuff on Netflix lately, and for some reason, it wasn't something I planned, but I've been watching a lot of based-on-true-story movies, apparently. Uh, it, was, it was just by luck that uh, each one I picked was sort of that. But I watched In the Heart of the Sea. It's got uh, the guy who plays Thor, uh, Hemsworth, or whatever Chris the fuck Hemsworth, was yeah. yeah. It's based on the events that inspired the writing of Moby Dick. So it's based on the actual sinking of a ship called the Essex back in the 1820s. That it was it was hit by a giant sperm whale, apparently an albino sperm whale, and that was sort of uh, one of the events that inspired Herman Melville to write Moby Dick. And so they they do it as sort of a part sort of docudrama kind of thing in a, in a way. They make up some stuff and they change facts around, of course, but. So they had they had the framing device of Herman Melville interviewing one of the last survivors of the Essex and and getting the story and and all that shit right sort of a really old fashioned kind of movie like the original Moby Dick movie or whatever I don't know if it's the original one but the one with um uh, what's his fucking name Bruce Willis no yeah Bruce Willis and Moby Dick goddamn uh famous fucking actor and I, I just totally blanked on his goddamn name uh who is also in the Guns of Neverone. And that fucking movie about <laughs> Jesus, man, I'm blanking on everything tonight. This is terrible. John, I've, John, I've never John seen Stug. a Moby Dick film. So you've never seen a Moby Dick Moby Dick film, though. No. Um, yeah. uh, Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck. Thank you, sir, for saving me there. No problem. Uh, <laughs> fucking Christ. But uh, yeah, it it's it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty good. It, it's it's definitely old fashioned. I, I, I guess its sympathies are kind of with the whalers uh, and not. <laughs> The sperm whales being basically hunted and slaughtered into near extinction for their oil. So it's much more about the feels of the fucking guys on the ship. The real story is actually pretty interesting. How that ship got hit by the whale and sunk. And the survivors had to turn to cannibalism on their rowboats before they eventually hit an island. And and eventually got picked up quite a bit later. It was decent. I mean, it's nothing special. But it, it was it was kind of a fun little old-fashioned movie for the most part. Yeah, I just uh, looked it up, and uh, apparently this is a Ron Howard film. Yeah, so, it is. You know, uh, and you know, this for the most part, the special effects are pretty good. The stuff with the actual whale attacking the ship 
is pretty harrowing stuff. There I throw the word Lovecraftian around a bit, Ooh. but it kind of feels that way in, in, in some regards because the whale is shown as being extraordinarily big for a sperm whale. Mm-hmm. The whale that reportedly hit the Essex was estimated at 85 feet, which is generally about 20 feet longer than most sperm whales ever get to. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, they exaggerated a little more and put it at about 100 feet. And yeah, 350 some- feet. Yeah, <laughs> and so some of the shots are really, really fucking good. And uh, when when it comes to the action shots, it's really good. It has this really unfortunate storm that they sail into, though. That is one of the worst CGI storms I've ever seen in my it's life. It's like probably like the perfect storm. <laughs> I think it was the perfect example of uh, them running out of money to do special effects. <laughs> was probably what it was. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, not not bad. Not where. Uh, yeah. Kind of worth checking out for, on Netflix if you if you nice. yeah. if you would have cut twenty feet off the whale, the storm would have probably looked better. But, probably, uh, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> it's really funny that I was searching for the 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 name. Uh, was it? Um, uh, I, I lost it already. Holmes. Gregory Peck. No, I was actually I was actually look I was actually searching for John Holmes because John Moby Holmes? Dick, and I actually oh. came up with Gregory <laughs> Peck, so, <laughs> and I started. That was pretty good. Excellent. Yeah. I was just Googling, uh, according to Wikipedia, the very first adaptation of Moby Dick was a 1926 silent movie, The Sea Beast, starring John Barrymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And the most famous is the John, the John Houston 1956 version, yeah. which was produced from a screenplay by Ray Bradbury, which makes you think we need to talk about this at some point. It's actually an excellent film. Uh, it's, it's pretty goddamn good. Special effects are pretty good, too, even though there's some obvious... Uh, shot in a bathtub kind of, kind of <laughs> shot, but it's it's not as bad as Ghost Galleon from the Blind Dead series. So wow, you got to give wow. it that. Did you just had to reference that one, didn't? Yeah, you? well, that's the classic one to reference, isn't it? Hello and welcome to Hello, this is the Doom Show. I am Richard, and I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, 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 and he said, bark, 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 and she said, bark, 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 bark. that's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner, the other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com. Dot com and doomedmoviethon.com Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, Richard, Brad, Jeffrey, Nava. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, slashes, G.I. Low and horror. Howdy, folks. Got blood, violence, freaks and nature. you come to the right place. My name is Gary and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode, we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, and listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. 
two. Take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Seven Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the Witch. Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash witchvs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror.
we are looking at Sorcerer from 1977. In 1971, William Friedkin directed The French Connection. It received five Academy Awards, including Best Picture of the Year. In 1974, he directed The Exorcist. It made history. Since then, Friedkin has spent over two years in five countries on three continents, creating his latest film, an unusual adventure into the realm of suspense. also a death. Four men take an incredible chance, face an impossible challenge, and risk the only thing they have left to lose. Roy Scheider, in a new film by William Friedkin. Sorcerer, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Directed by William Friedkin, uh, written by Waylon Green, who provided the screenplay, and it's based on the novel by George Arnaud, starring Roy Schreider as Jackie Scanlon or Juan Dominguez, Bruno Creamer as Victor Manzon or Serrano, uh, Francisco, uh, Francisco Rabal as Nilo, Amadou as Cassim or Martinez, Ramon Bayri as uh, Corlette. Peter Capel as Lartigue, Carl John as Marquez, Frederick von Liederberg as Carlos, Chico Martinez as Bobby Del Rios, and Joe Spinell in a small part. Did you uh, catch Joe Spinell when you were watching that, Paul? No. No? I didn't. Yeah, he's, he's got a very small part as Spider. And Spider. We'll get to a quick little synopsis here. It's an uncredited synopsis on IMDb, so we cannot name and shame if we find this is not adequate enough for the film. Uh, It says, A gangster, a crooked banker, a hitman, and an Arab terrorist are stranded and on the run in a small village in South America. Their only chance of escape is to drive two trucks filled with unstable nitroglycerin up a long and rocky mountain road in order to plug an escalating oil refinery blaze. With their deadly cargo likely to explode at the slightest bump, the four men must put aside their differences and work together to survive. Yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much the uh, mm-hmm. plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw it to you first there, Daniel, since uh, you're back. What, what are your sort of thoughts on, on this film? I saw this film for the first time maybe 20 years ago. And it's funny how it does have a fairly substantial sort of cultural resonance in the sense of, I mean, A, there's the Simpsons joke and, you know, it's sort of, but uh, everyone sort of remembers this for the kind of tense action stuff, the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the bridge sequence and, uh, you know, just kind of long shots of trucks driving over things and trying very carefully not to uh, blow <laughs> themselves up. Yeah. Um, but really, yeah. this is two films in one, right? I mean, it's really kind of the first half is really kind of character study of these uh, kind of four men who uh, find themselves in this ass end of the earth in uh, Central America and, and under the um, the thumb of this uh, giant oil company. 
you know, sort of the sort of what their lives are like. And then uh, it only then transitions into this sort of tense, you know, sort of existential thriller in like really the second hour, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I think that um, it's interesting that we, uh, <laughs> we sort of remember the second half, but in a lot of ways, the first half is more interesting, you know. There's a lot more going on, and I and I think that it's just kind of a marker for just kind of what we as film nerds sometimes appreciate about these kinds of films is the, so that big memorable moment. I mean, it's easy to think, I and mean, it's easy to realize why you know those sequences are are so memorable and why that's what we take away from the film. But I I do think we'd be remiss in not at least mentioning you know that kind of first half, some of the really really interesting kind of subtle character work and kind of genre work that's being done there. Right. How about you, Paul? Oh, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, the, the first half is like a completely different kind of a film, and it, it basically takes over an hour to do a lot of character building, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and then throws you into this cavalcade of trucks and tires and this and bridges and chaos. And, yeah, that, I mean, I loved it. I mean, you know, I went total fucking redneck. I was like, yeah, get her done. Come on. You know, <laughs> a little bit like that. I mean, I got a great laugh out of the, in the beginning of the film, too. I mean, the, just the way um, uh, Mr. The, the Frenchman kind of just goes, um, I got to go. And then just basically runs down the road. <laughs> I laughed my ass off. So there was some uh, some very interesting moments. My only joke that I said out loud was, I was like, this, this instead of sorcerers, why don't we just call it scumbags? Because it's four scumbags, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and it's kind of I know, coincidental they all end up in the same town. But uh, it's it's a good film overall, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. This this town they end up in seems like it really is like the hot spot for anybody who's desperately trying to escape their former lives because. Not only do you have these guys in it, it seems like it's populated with probably tons of Nazis on the run. Because there's, yes. a, there's at least two that that are in that town that you see. So. I mean, they're literally they're literally working in a in, in like a a work camp that has a uh, Nazi symbol. Yeah, <laughs> and like a big iron grate. I mean, it's like okay, can we? Can we, can we not can we lay off the symbolism just a little bit here, guys? You know, <laughs> a little obvious, guys. Wink yeah, wink. I do love how everything builds at the beginning because it's interesting. Like, there's a kind of I guess uh, the term would be economy of narrative employed here really well, where everything you see at the beginning of the film actually means something and tells some sort of story that's either directly related or surrounding what's going on. So. There actually is like a lot of just world building in the first half of the film where you get a, you get a perfect sense of everything that, that actually is happening and that's important in the story. And it, and it, sometimes they only show you like brief little scenes. Like there's just a brief scene where some two people are talking, then they immediately move on to something else. Mm-hmm. But everything felt like it was in place for me. Like it, it didn't feel like anything was disjointed or awkwardly just stuck in there as some sort of artistic flourish or some bullshit like that. It, it felt like everything was, was leading to building the world. And then you could just set off on this, this action sequence for the last hour of it. Right. And I think it does it a very good job of it. The, the vignettes at the beginning, especially the one in, uh, I guess it's uh, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. because the Arab terrorists uh, pretending to be Jews and, and doing a bombing. That felt almost like an actual documentary. The way it's, just, it's shot, it feels like a documentary and the cameraman's right there filming all this stuff. It's ultra-realistic. And honestly, when you think about it, all four of those vignettes, they all could be an interesting film in the 1970s themselves, like a feature length, mm-hmm. if, if they wanted to go with any of those stories. But instead, they take all their stories and they bring them all together 
And then you just have all these desperate individuals stuck between a rock and a hard place. And the only way out is this fucking impossibly just harrowing fucking trip for 200 miles across hostile terrain with basically you're you're driving a fucking small nuclear bomb. This is basically what you're doing. (laughs) And I think it builds up the tension of the nitroglycerin very well because you just see how fucking frightened everybody is of, of the idea that they have to use this stuff. You know, they, they go in that little shack there and they're like, oh, we got the nitroglycerin. And then the guy's like, when's the last time this stuff was turned? Because it's like all, it's all fucking leaked out and the sticks are are mostly just powder now. And all the fucking nitro is down in the bottom of these fucking boxes, all pooled and the smallest bump and boom. Like he puts mm-hmm. some of his fucking fingers and, and throws it out outside of the shack just for effect just to show how <laughs> yeah how dangerous mm-hmm. it is just small stuff like that is absolutely great mm-hmm. what do you guys uh think of the the action scenes in this though uh as a whole like how do you feel about how they how they play out i i like it a lot i mean the funny thing is i've never saw the beginning of the film before i've just seen clips of the, the trucks and the bridges and stuff what it's known for mm-hmm. i'm watching the beginning of the film and i don't know and i'm not gonna say these guys are jews or arabs or whatever they got the beanies on so i'm just gonna go whatever i'm not saying anything <laughs> and i'm just watching the the film going what's gonna blow up is that gonna blow up what's gonna blow up and then the explosion happened oh my god there was this tension in the air that something was gonna blow up <laughs> and then and then that and then <laughs> And as soon as that happened, that just set the scene for the rest of the film. And then it went over here to this, this, you know, the, the embezzlement kind of. Mm-hmm. And then it went right. And then the guy shot himself. And then that hilarious. I got to get the hell out of here. And he <laughs> ran out the I love that. And then. It turns um, out that if you want to transport dynamite through a South American jungle, the guy you really need is a is a bank is a banker accused. Of yeah, fraud. is a corrupt <laughs> French bank. Yeah, that's what you need because yeah. he yeah. knows how to do it. I think it's also very interesting how he played the corruption of the Catholic Church. However, he didn't play it. He didn't play it just the underbelly in the basement. He showed the corruption and the ignorance that people do it with the bride with the black eye. Right. Yeah. And I I find the bride with the black eye the most disturbing part of the film. Yeah, it, it it is it is pretty it is pretty shocking. Like uh, total total mob wedding uh, kind yeah. of uh, by the list <laughs> of things, you know. And and it's the Irish mob. Like Rashider's vignette has him and his buddies, and they're part of uh, I guess the uh, Irish Donnelly mob or whatever. And they they knock off I guess the Italians, and mm-hmm. and there's a wedding going on, and then they're counting all their fucking money they're laundering or whatever down in the basement or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, shit goes wrong because you know. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is the choices you make dictate the life you lead. And sometimes you end up in a South American jungle, dynamite around you, and things going bad. That's what happens <laughs> with those choices. Uh, but overall, I always, I didn't realize what was going on. I mean, I was trying to kind of, you know, it's pretty easy to follow along. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's the French guy. When I was watching him in the bar, I'm like, oh, I see what's going on here. I gotcha. <laughs> and it yeah. was pretty interesting. I was like, hey, what a coincidence. They all ended up in the same place. Hmm. I kind of <laughs> get the feeling that the film is kind of suggesting that, like, you could go into any one of these Petro towns in Central America and you'd find an equally disgusting group of expatriates. I think that, right. you know, these are these are just the guys we happen to be following around. Yeah. But, you yeah. know. This isn't this exactly is, the is... Ellis Island of bad guys. I mean, this is, could be anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm, I'll tell you, just talking about action sequences, there's one we haven't mentioned yet that's actually my favorite sequence in the film, and that's the uh, Dynamite in the Tree um, right. sequence. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I was going to get there. Yeah, and I, I know everybody talks about the bridge sequence, and the bridge sequence is great, but I think even better is the uh, the, the way they have to rig up the system to, mm-hmm. to blow up the tree, and, you know, the sort of the, as they sort of start to descend into infighting, and, like, you know, they have different... Uh, Roy Scheider just starts to like hack away pointlessly at trees because yeah. yeah. he has yeah. no like other thing to do. And then, uh, you know, the the terrorist is kind of like, "Oh no, I can, I can, I, I got this. Don't worry." I think I can, do, I can. I think I can move this. And I was like, "He's going to come back with a plan, isn't he?" And he did. I'm like, "See, I didn't knew you would." Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. you go. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's really good, too, because at that point, those guys had pushed themselves pretty much to the limit. And then they get to that part of the road, and then there's just that big fucking tree there. And you just see the, the assassin character there, uh, uh, Nilo, he just starts laughing because he gets the sort of cosmic joke that's being played on them right there. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the indifference of the universe. And it's just, it's just they, they've just butted their noses up right against it. And so he just starts laughing. Uh, Scheider, he's just like, Fuck this! Uh, the, the, he just goes nuts. He's like, "We can hack around. We 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 can still do this. Uh, we just have to cut these eight trees down." And then they point out, "Well, how are you going to move the trees? And how are you going to get over the stumps? And how are you going to drive through the fucking swamp?" And and he's like, "No, we got to fucking do it." And, I'm just going to do it. I want to go home, asshole. <laughs> uh, and the honestly, the most calm guy is the French investment banker. Like he's yeah, of course yes. I mean, he even in his vignette, he's totally calm throughout the entire thing until his buddy blows his brains out, and then he's like, "Okay, well, now I should get the fuck out of town." Then he turned to the fucking roadrunner. Yeah, because he's 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 like the most he's sort of like the rational, calm center of the group for the most part. Like he's the guy who's trying to keep keep everyone under some sort of fuck. Uh, I'm just at a loss for words well, and names. I mean, yeah, well, I know. He, he had like, no, you will do this. Shut up and yeah. do it. You have to do it. Just discipline. Discipline, discipline. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but he does it in a very, very interesting way. And it's so funny that Roy Scheider, the first scene with Roy Scheider on, on that the really bad wavy bridge is pretty epic because the rain just pelting down on the whole thing. It is very, mm-hmm. very, very crazily epic. However, Roy Scheider, I mean, they're, they're both scumbags. I don't know the was it Carlos's story or whatever, but you know, you know, he's a bad guy. He robbed this guy, shot this and well, he never carried a gun. So you're trying to feel good for him. Right. Cause Oh, I never carried a mm-hmm. gun. So I'm not that bad, but I was watching the film and there's a horrible embezzler and a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, come on, go, go. You can do it. And I'm like, I'm cheering for these fuckers. Is this happening right now? I'm pretty sure it is. Cause Cause like, you, I got into the moment, into the film, into the moment. Like you can do this. Come on, go. Yeah, well, I mean, you see these guys, and I mean, despite all their character flaws, they they get pushed to like the edge. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you're just you're just rooting for them because you're you're like God. It can't get any worse for them at this point, can it? It's I like, don't want. I'm, we're watching the bridge fall apart, and I'm thinking, is that going to land on that motherfucker or something going on? It was a little anticlimactic when he actually got on the other side. It was mm-hmm. it was a simple cut, and I'm like, oh, really? That's it. But it's still, I'm going, oh, shit, things are going to break. Not good, not good. Come on, go, go, go. And the tension's building, the tension's building. They do tension pretty well in this film. They start off small, too, because uh, first there's just the tension of they're all in that little shitty town, and they're slowly getting found out by the local authorities. And, you know, they, they, they're they starting to feel like their time is up, like they got to get mm-hmm. the fuck out of town, right? 
And then it builds a little bit to the tension of the infighting in the group because the Nilo character, he kills one of the uh, guys who was hired to be part of their team and replaces right. them, basically, you know? He, he just sort of... And, and uh, I'll get back to that in a minute. I'll ask you guys uh, some questions. But then they get on the fucking road, and the first little bit of tension is seeing them do those mountain roads and the shots, the point-of-view shots under the trucks, showing the, the wheels just barely, you know, right on the edge, and, and sometimes the edge actually starting to crumble off a little bit, you know, that they're driving, and they're going over right. that that first little bridge and then it sort of ramps up right to, to the swinging bridge part. And then after that, almost when they get to the big tree in the road, that's almost kind of the release of of, of all the tension there because after that's just, okay. uh, (laughs) They're not in danger of dying now, but they're definitely. Well, did you notice, I don't know about you. I'm not sure if I was just hearing things or whatever, but like during the really intense bridge parts and stuff, the trucks almost were roaring underneath the engines too. Like there was added noise. Yeah, there is roaring and loud. It's like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah, they actually used, uh, I believe it's uh, cougar and leopard sounds. They they put it in the sound mix. Yeah, just, okay, so I was right. There was roaring and stuff underneath the, like, uh, noises yeah. going. Okay, good. Yeah, this, actually, this actually got a uh, Oscar nomination for sound design. Nice. Um, but it lost out to Star Wars. <laughs> that that's just one way it lost out to Star Wars, and we'll get to that as well. But what did you guys think of uh, the the Nilo character, the uh, Mexican uh, hitman? Because he's probably the most ambiguous, the the one without as much motivation. Like it's not clear why he even decided yeah. to go on this trip. Because because from from if you follow his story, it seems like he's just stopping in this town to lay low for a little bit before he goes to his next job or whatever. Cause you see, you see his vignette at the beginning. It's the shortest one. It's only like two minutes and he, he, he kills the target and then gets the hell out of Dodge. But then he sort of inserts himself into this group and you're kind of wondering like, is there another target of his in this group or what is he doing? And that's like the one thing I couldn't quite pin down. Or maybe just simply, maybe he's not as well off as we thought he was. Something like that. Maybe, you know, just just the fact that, I mean, if you're adding yourself to this, even though, I like, he did try to play it calm and cool until he started driving. And then he started going, Mm. oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Looking back and looking back and going, okay, now I'm not really so happy about this anymore. Yeah. Because all that that calm, cool hitman stuff kind of went away. Especially when he hit the bridge. Yeah. And he tried to run away. Yeah, because Roy Scheider was off his nut on this in this film. Yeah, what do what do you think of that character, uh, Dan? Do you have any? I don't know that. I feel like it's kind of the one big mystery of the film is, mm-hmm. is sort of like exactly why you know I'm kind of led to believe from just reading the Wikipedia pages there were like uh, dialogue scenes that were kind of cut out of this film mm-hmm. that covered that um, a little bit more. And I mean, since we get a little bit of it's funny how little background we really get on these guys, like all of them. You know, we really just get kind of, it, it's sort of like they're, they're almost stock characters from other kinds of films that have just been sort of inserted into this narrative. And so, you know, we get, okay, he's a hitman. He's, you know, laying low and then he decides to join this for reasons of his own. Maybe he just wanted a little adventure. I don't know. But we do never really get his perspective. But, um, you know, the other ones are really just like, well, I just need money. But you also think, well, where the fuck are you going to go, right? <laughs> like, you yeah, know, where are you going to be allowed to go? Right. Um, you know, where, where's the, where's the more out of the way spot than this ultimately, you know? Yeah. Cause so. you're not, it's not like you're getting 
a great deal of money either. It's like no, it's I, I looked it up and it's I mean it's really like in today's money it's like a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, realistically, what they're getting paid the the money they're getting paid they're probably just going to end up in another one of these shitty little fucking holes right. in the wall, you know, nowhere. And and be in pretty much the same situation they're in now, right? Right. Yeah. But I mean, maybe it's just maybe it's just short sighted. Like, well, we got to get away, you know. Yeah. And so I, I do it. You know, I almost think I almost think you know this film would be more interesting if it wasn't about white guys, or you know, <laughs> if it wasn't about expatriates. Like, if it was just four desperate miners, you know, mm-hmm. well company guys who just really needed the money, and yeah. uh, you know. Or you could put like it, them you know? in the in the Sierra Nevadas in winter and have a cannibal come in. Yeah, <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of Ravenous a little bit too. Though in a, in a there way. are lots of I, I I was having flashbacks to a lot of films uh, watching this. I mean, um, well, uh, us doing uh, Gire last week, I, I think I sort of picked up a lot of vibes that you know. It's not like I planned uh, intentionally to pair these two films together this month or anything like that, but. Uh, watching uh, Aguirre last week and then watching this. Man, a lot of the same themes, Man Against Nature, uh, Desperation. Um, you could almost see Klaus Kinski in this film. And you could almost believe that uh, Werner Herzog directed it too because there's a lot of sort of the same stylistic yeah. touches. But Treasure of the Sierra Madre gets mentioned a lot in comparison with this film. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about Men With Guns, a John Sayles from, film from 1998 in which a uh, kind of a wealthy doctor in some, I think, unnamed... No, it's in Mexico. It's actually in Mexico. Ends up uh, on the run from uh, the government and, you know, going through jungles in kind of a similar way and kind of interacting with locals. So there's a lot of uh, political ramifications that we get in the kind of the first half of this film. And uh, obviously there will be blood just because of the <laughs> the oil mm-hmm. drill, you know, the oil drilling stuff, um, which is also connected to the church of the Sierra Madre. And yeah. uh, Ikimama Tambien, strangely, I kept thinking about that, you know, began oh, yeah, that, that the first half. Be- the yeah. one with the two young guys and the older yeah. woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Treasure of Sierra Madre, uh, Roy Schreider is kind of, his his characterization was deliberately uh, patterned after Bogart's character in that film to a certain degree. But uh, that's that's one of the ones they, they sort of had in mind when they were doing this, yeah. like that, that, that kind of genre. Because they wanted to change it from the 53 movie, uh, Wages of Fear. They, they wanted to have just the sort of skeletal basics of the plot and and Friedkin wanted to change pretty much everything else around quite a bit. And so that's where you get a lot more of the political stuff in this. You get, you know, the again, the criticism of the church that uh, Paul pointed out. You get the sort of imperialist narrative there. And uh, just, I think, kind of the main reason that you do have four foreign guys instead of just like local miners or whatever trying to get out of this is that it just adds to the tension that these guys are up against a wall because really the locals are sort of closing in on them. Like there, there's all these hinted yeah. pressures of not only do you have the authorities and uh, the, 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 uh, the black enforcer uh, character or whatever that that's in the background there when, with the authorities who kind of looks like a fucking rude boy from a ska band. <laughs> <laughs> so there's almost like, apparently the dictator in the country is mentioned a little bit here and there. Apparently he's supposed to have like a liberal image, but he's, you know, apparently just another fucking tin pot. Oh, Presidente. Yeah, you know, yeah. one of those types who's... Uh, and, and there's a terrorist group in the, in the hinted at... Yeah, uh, I mean, isn't it, isn't it implied that the terrorist group set the fire on the on the oil mm-hmm. well? Okay, yeah. Yeah, because they're, yeah, the, they're, they're, the, they're patriots. They don't want these American bastards coming in and taking their land. 
And that's the funny thing. He's like, well, he's supposed to protect us. Well, he can't exactly kill his own people that are supposed to be patriots. And all. That would make him look bad, silly. You know, yeah. it's, what the hell are we paying for? <laughs> <laughs> Again, all that's in the world building, like I mentioned, like they just, they give you enough of everything where you, you get the whole sort of general picture of what they're up against and, and what they've gotten themselves into and why they need to get the fuck out of there. So I, I think it all works pretty well that way. Let's see. I did want to mention, like, there, there is a lot of striking imagery in this. Again, just, just the bridge scene or just watching the, the tense action scenes or the, the big massive downpours of rain and all that stuff. That that stuff is all pretty striking. But I think the, the one image that really gets me in this film is after the uh, disaster at, at the mine or the oil well, I mean, they bring the bodies home to the town mm-hmm. and then you have that you have that riot but the, the, the most striking image is they have them all wrapped up in those plastic bags and then you just you see those burnt bodies and the blood dripping like through the bag and, and out of the bag and they're just raw slabs of meat at that point and they're, mm-hmm. just, they're just bleeding out that was probably the most graphic thing i, I oh yeah <laughs> yeah in, in the film other than the uh the conflict with the uh, terrorists on the road there late in, late in the film, that, that gets pretty bloody as well. It, it, it took me a couple watches to realize that those guys are probably the guys who actually did set fire to the... Oh, of uh, course. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they are the Patriots, yeah. Yeah. The Rebels, yeah. you know, the Rebel Alliance, Star Wars, yeah. there you go. What do you got in the truck? Uh, you know, uh, Vienna sausages. Uh, um, Kleenex. Kleenex. Toilet paper. <laughs> Kleenex. Oh, good. We need those things. Yeah, we need food and and toilet paper, and <laughs> and then, then they're they're just planning to kill them. I also love that this film it will use like native language of of wherever they're basically showing stuff. So the opening vignettes uh, until you get to Schrider's one, nothing's in English, and then there's a, there's a lot of uh, just sort of natural natural dialogue uh, th- throughout. When whenever there is dialogue, like this this is very scarce on dialogue too. It's much more of a moody atmospheric film for the most part where action speaks louder than than any of the characters because sometimes you even get shots of them and it's from a distance and you can't even hear what they're saying it, it, they're, they're they're obviously talking about something that would relate to the plot but uh they're talking about one why the one guy's there but we didn't hear it yeah and freaking just you know freaking doesn't uh <laughs> freaking doesn't give you that he he, he make lets you make up your own mind on a lot of this stuff so yeah mm-hmm. and the second they do start to talk about oh my wife back home um uh, that's when they die yeah <laughs> yeah i know like like you're right you're right in the part of like oh character building i feel for this guy that's not bad tire pop dead and i yep. was like that quick too it wasn't like a big build up to the death it was fuck you you're dead yep and Damn. yeah that's that's another thing it's just it's just very it's very quick and brutal. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything in this film is just. But you got, you, you know, got. They did make sure that you got that hit when they heard the noise, and they looked, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh fuck!" They knew exactly what happened, even yeah, though they, they didn't want. I don't think they wanted to know what happened, but they knew what happened. If you know what I mean. Yeah, and then they they look back and you see that mushroom cloud down the road coming up, like, oh. yeah, totally flattened. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and then we get to the end of the film and. Well, even even when you win, you lose. Uh, he he's in, yeah. he's in the bar there, and he's got his he's got his citizenship. Uh, uh, Schreider is the, is the only one who survives, and he's got his money. He's got his he's got his papers. Uh, he can go and do it whatever he wants. He can get away, and the mob from the beginning of the film tracks him down. Yeah, like well, we we stopped. Uh, we we didn't go through the part where you know his buddy was dying on the ground and everything, and uh, and they start. 
basically hallucinating like a mofo with some really mm-hmm. crazy music and like noises around it. Yep. And uh, he starts recapping his whole – all of his mistakes basically. They got him where he is today. That is like we were talking before we started doing it. That's like the only sorcery is when he's going this crazy psychedelic trip through these really beautifully odd landscapes. Mm-hmm. With a really weird blue tinge to everything that makes it even creepier. Because he yeah. looks almost dead. Like he's a driving dead man. Yeah, he looks like a corpse, doesn't he? Pretty much mm-hmm. at that yeah. point. Like he's, exactly. he's just been through so much. And yeah, the, the Sorcerer title actually, uh, there is a thematic idea behind it from Friedkin, but it's kind of jumbled. It's like nature's sort of, and fate conspiring against people is sort of the quote-unquote sorcery in the film, I guess, is, is kind of mm-hmm. what Friedkin was saying, which is kind of... It's kind it's of out there. bullshit. It's kind of bullshit. But yeah. um, there also, if you notice, the truck that that gets blowed up real good actually has sorcerer written on the side of it. Mm. So yeah, both trucks actually have something written on it. So the the truck that gets destroyed is is called sorcerer, and the truck that survives is called Lazarus. Mm. So there there you know there's a little bit of thematic stuff there as well. So, yeah, you know, essentially. Uh, although I, I'd argue uh, Schreider doesn't necessarily come back from the dead, he just he just looks like his life is over. And he when he's sitting in that bar at the end, anyway, it's like, right? I'll just have a I'll just have a dance with the uh, the girl who scrubs the floors or whatever. And well, uh, yeah, well, I like I like that reference because of her obviously having some kind of some not relationship but something going on with the, the, the with for the Frenchman. I'm not going to say right. the name right now, but Frenchman. Uh, so I do like that. I personally, there's about seven times I could have stopped the film, honestly, before the film stopped. I was like, okay, that good Roy Scheider collapses, go to black, roll the, roll the thing. Nope, we're going to keep going? All right. Here's his money. Okay, cut it out on the long frame. Nope, okay, have a dance. Now cut it out. Oh, fucking mobster, the end, goodbye. I'm done. Like, it's just like watching this film. This film could end now, anytime. Like, you know, and, and you could have different feelings at any point in time of that last minute. Mm-hmm. But then they ended it with the mobsters coming in. And, of course, you didn't hear gunshots. You heard a small little pop. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it was a gunshot. You don't know if it was a gun. You know what I mean? Like, who shot who, this and that. But It's it's left a little bit ambiguous. And, mm-hmm. honestly, it, it ends much more hopeful, depending on the cut of this, you see. Like, the, the one that was cut for the European market, they cut from... It's what uh, it's 121 minutes. It's it's you know so it's basically two hours. They they cut it down to 100 and it's I think it's 18 minutes. Uh, and they they took the vignettes at the beginning and they sort of put them throughout the film as flashbacks instead of which is I I, I don't I don't even want to see that version of the film really. But uh, they they I, they cut before you hear any sort of gunshot or anything like that. I I, I think you don't even see the mobsters come up in, in that version it, i right. think it just ends with him dancing with, with, with very the, positive uh, very like uplifting even yeah. though obviously there's no real i don't really i never really got an uplifting feel because if you watch roy Scheider's whole character at the end of the film he's like well no i just whatever like i know well, he's go there. Like, he's, he's, bro- he's he's broken i mean he he's he saw the edge and he pretty much just went over it like it's right. just he saw like kind of the the worst of possible you know the worst of humanity and kind of the best at the same time, like the inner strength of all those guys trying to carry on through all this. Mm-hmm. Like he, he got to experience all that in such a vis- visceral way that it, it obviously just breaks him by the end of the film. You know, he's, he just, right. he, 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 he has no hope of uh, doing anything else apparently. 
by just by the look of them, I would guess, but I don't know. I will say that I, I as much as I appreciate the like hallucinatory sequence that we uh, talked about a, a minute ago, and I sort of I think it's effectively done. I think it's effectively uh, produced. I do think it kind of I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere, but I do think that it it's a little bit over it's a little bit overkill for the mm. sort of much more kind of grounded documentary style version mm-hmm. raw you know, of the rest of the film. You know, I feel like we don't like we you know we that that kind of like level of obsessiveness. I mean, really, again, we see it mostly when he's, like, hacking away at the brush trying to... Just these eight trees, guys. Just these eight trees, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the moment where he really breaks, you know? And I feel yeah. like, you know, we don't get enough of a sort of sense of the relationship between himself and um, Nilo to really mm-hmm. sort of justify, like, that being the thing that kind of pushes him over the edge. Um, although there is a little bit of a bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia bit with, you know, mm-hmm. him obsessively, you know, with this, you know... And in uh, Alfredo Garcia, it was like an actual like rotting head, but this is, you know, yeah. might as well be, you know, just a guy talking about like, we're going to go get two whores, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you're going to do, do it for me. Promise. I promise. Um, yeah, no, um, I just, I, I feel like it's a little bit like it's beautiful and it's, and it's uh, well executed, but I feel like it, it doesn't, the film doesn't quite earn that sequence for me. For me, the kind of big visual is uh, at the end when he's, just after he's walked the uh, the dynamite, oh yeah, TV, that's... Uh, and and it's basically just one shot. You know, he you, you kind of see him walk past the camera, and then this giant flaming oil well in the in the in the far background. You know, just they they just kind of grab him and like get the dynamite, and he just sort of collapses. Basically, I like yeah. the fact that they let him walk like twenty more paces and collapse by himself, but they take care of the dynamite. Well, yeah. you know, they had their priorities straight. You know. Yeah. And he's, you got I mean, 20 guys there that could help him, but no, if I can get the diamond, we'll just watch him fall over. This will be fun. Yeah, I mean, at the end of, at the, end of the day, he ultimately, like, part, that's part of the thing. It's just that he's really not that important. Like, he once he gets the dynamite there, it's not necessarily... I mean, they might as well just shot him in the head. Like, why yeah. not? I mean, that, would, that yeah. would be the really dark ending. You know, yeah. they just shoot it. Who are the real bad guys the whole time? I mean, right, you know, exactly. we talk about you know the, all these guys are like morally ambiguous at best, you know. But at the yeah. same time, look who they're working for. Look at like like this is you know this is like colonialism and imperialism personified here. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys are way worse than and, and they know, did it. On they the, might the, they the might wear nice suits and and talk um you know and speak uh with florid language, but those guys are way worse than you know our kind of low level guys. Right. When they made all their money on the backs of, on the bones of lots of people. So, yeah, yeah. There you go. Now, I mean, you even great. You see you, early in the film, you see like the, um, the pipe uh, getting they're raised. the pipeline, you know, and yeah. the, you know, like, I mean, that's just, that's just the life. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just what well, this, that's just what this was. I mean, well, I mean, when, when, when you feel better about the, the two old Nazis living in the town than you do about the oil company. You, you kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. You know about it, huh? Yeah. Oh, he's just a nice bartender. Leave him alone. You know, that yeah, kind of he, he, he was, you know, a, what, what was he? Commander. It's, he was a, he, it was a Reichsmarschall back then. Reichsmarschall. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Weren't you Fritz? <laughs> that was yeah. a long time ago. and I've got scotch. So, you know, yeah, I've got yeah. scotch. So, yeah. I've got, I've got some... So what you say, they like get Roy Scheider to get into the actual compound, and then the colonel comes up and says, smile, you son of a bitch, and blows his head off. 
he throws the he throws the nitroglycerin over by the uh, fucking uh, the burning hole there and, it, and then shoots it. Yes, yeah, smile, you yeah. son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> now that it's like... an ending. <laughs> So any any other uh, final thoughts on this one before we start getting into the trivia and all that stuff or No, I feel good. I think we yeah. I think we covered it. And it's funny like it's a great film and uh it, it's really just see it rather than, you know, like it's it's kind of difficult to talk about without really getting into the nitty-gritty of it, you know, and like sort of Yeah, you you really do have to experience it. I mean, I'll just flat out say this is my favorite film of all time. This this is the one I, I love it. a lot. I it. Like I I Every time I watch it, it's still. Even though I know everything that's going to happen in the film, I still get tense, and I and I still I still get hooked by the action scenes, and I still get nervous watching that fucking rope bridge. You know, like it still gets me. So I love this film. Budget for this was around twenty one, twenty two million dollars. It was originally supposed to be budgeted for about twelve to fifteen, but the cost kept getting up. Uh, and we'll get into that in the trivia. Uh, it only grossed nine million uh, worldwide, six million in rentals eventually, but they never recouped their their losses on this one. Apparently, uh, I think it was Universal and Paramount split the cost on this one because it was getting so expensive. And after this, Freakin got his contract terminated and uh, basically severed ties with American movie making for quite some time. This kind of ruined his career for quite a while. So let's see here. This I mean, twenty-two little... million is, a, is like a giant budget at that time period. Mm-hmm. That, that was huge. I mean, today twenty million is like, oh, you know, you wasted twenty that's million. Nothing. Like, no, like, that's yeah. just on catering. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. Freakin wanted Steve McQueen first, but McQueen demanded that his uh, wife, I think Ally McGraw or girlfriend Ally McGraw at the time, wh- whichever it was, be in it. And he's like, no, nah, this gonna be this could be a sausage party. So. Uh, we're not bringing her in on it. He tried to get Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson. Tried to get Warren Oates, but apparently because the budget escalated beyond $10 million, they didn't feel he like he was a big enough star to uh, fucking uh, move ticket sales. Paul Newman turned this down. Gene Hackman and Chris Christopherson turned this down. So honestly, the only guy in the main cast that was... The person uh, Fredkin wanted was the uh, Arab terrorist. He was the only guy. Everybody else was fifth or sixth down his list of people hmm. he was trying to trying to cast on this one. Twenty seventh, apparently. Yeah, and uh, and Sh- and Schreider was one that Fredkin to this day still says he kind of regrets picking for this, even though they were professionally they'd worked together before on like the French Connection and they were friends and all that. But apparently on this production, everything that could go wrong basically went wrong on this production. So Friedkin and, and Schreider were at each other's throats for most of the movie. Apparently Schreider kind of got a bit of a big head after his success with Jaws. So apparently he was difficult to work with on, on the set. But Friedkin is also notoriously kind of difficult to work with. He's kind of got like that kind of uh, God complex when it comes to directing, apparently. As reports say that, you know, it's his way or the highway. So he had disputes with him. He had disputes with many people in the crew, in production. A big portion of the crew 
actually had to be deported because uh, an undercover agent came in and told him basically that like a good a good uh, ten people or something on on the on the production were involved in a drug smuggling ring of some sort. <laughs> so so they had they had to be uh, taken out and and fucking replaced, which took time. He was constantly fighting with the stunt people because most of the main cast did most of their own stunts on this. So uh, there wasn't much use for the stunt people like. Anyone he could piss off, he pissed off. A good portion of this crew, in contrast to Aguirre last week, where we talked about how basically no one got any major diseases or anything like that, except for like one case of hepatitis or whatever the fuck it was. Almost everybody on this production got sick. There was multiple cases of malaria. Friedkin himself got malaria and had to recover in France after the movie was finished. Yeah, everyone's just getting food poisoning and malaria and shit like that. Notes on the rope bridge here, although it uh, looks like it was really, really decrepit. It was actually a incredibly expensive prop that was as safe as anything you could hope for. It, it, apparently, you know, all kinds of hydraulic lifts and stuff were used to to mm-hmm. make all the effects. Apparently, it cost one million dollars for this bridge. Well, it worked well. But apparently they had to move this bridge a couple times and rebuild it. So each time they had to rebuild it, it cost them a million dollars again to move <laughs> again it. Again and again, wow. Yeah, um, one, of the, one of the rivers that they were going to sh- shoot over uh, dried up, so they had to find a different river. They actually ended up uh, settling for making their own hurricane conditions with rain machines and fucking that's helicopters. That's what it looked like. Yeah, yeah. That's what it looked like. But it was still yeah. well done. Yeah, so, uh, and they also had to put a 24-hour guard around this bridge uh, at one point because the, uh, because the, with the river drying up, the locals, who were very superstitious, apparently blamed the production for drying up the river and were, like, trying to, like, sabotage and attack the, the bridge and stuff, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, 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 they just kept fucking... <laughs> that, that's a life imitates art moment, right? <laughs> yeah. So that what? Yeah. So that that yeah, exactly. That that one shot with the bridge there, that one sequence cost them months of shooting time and drove the budget up super high. The church robbery was actually based on a real robbery in uh, New Jersey, and one of those robbers was actually uh, cast by Freakin as like the head of the Donnelly mob or whatever in, in the movie. Uh, so. There you go. The sequence with the tree apparently couldn't get the tree to blow up the way they wanted to. Apparently it was impossible uh, with the, the guy that they hired. They hired uh, Marcel Vercoter, uh, who was the special effects guy from The Exorcist, but apparently he couldn't achieve it. So they got a real arsonist who was apparently very experienced with this stuff to come in and actually blow up the fucking tree without any problems. So, Well, the one guy, he just kept on throwing pea soup at it. So it didn't work. <laughs> um, pea, soup, pea soup's explosive, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Let's no, see. actually, yeah. Uh, one one more sequence I just like to mention is the uh, the car the car crash sequence at the uh, beginning in uh, mm-hmm. uh, the in New Jersey. Jersey license place. Yeah, with the NJ. <laughs> um, apparently, they they spent like a week shooting that car crash, yeah. and I. Uh, Went back and rewatched that right before we recorded, just because I ha- I was like, oh, I have to see, because like I thought it looked pretty impressive, and on just kind of a casual watch. That's got to be like, re- I mean, you know, if they've spent that long on it, and you watch it now, and it's like, 
Yeah, that's a really impressive car crash, but it's not. I mean, I mean, today a, we're just we're so week. jaded with like how well we can do car crashes now. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I just looks... did one not too long ago. It was fantastic. You should have seen it. <laughs> it wasn't on film though. Yeah, um, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> that probably brings some fucking views to your YouTube channel. That's it? true. Check this yeah. out. I'm gonna crash this today. <laughs> uh, so, what did you guys think of the soundtrack? Because this is a Tangerine Dream. And this was their, I, I believe this was their first, their first actual movie uh, soundtrack. And this got them lots and lots of business afterwards doing uh, scores and soundtracks. Uh, I, I love not, it. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's kind of unique. Everyone was kind of using cheap synthesizer music and stuff around this time anyway, you know, like ever since like the 60s or maybe even a bit earlier, that was kind of the de, de facto budget movie way of going. But here it's a really kind of high class electronic score with uh, some really good atmospheric moody parts. And then there's a lot of real pounding action kind of stuff as well. Like that first initial one that, that hits in the sequence in Jerusalem where you, you have the point of view behind the machine gun going up on the Jeep, going down the road there, and it just jumps right into it. Yeah, it'd be easy to... Um, it, would, it would be really easy for that kind of score to instantly date the film or to mm-hmm. uh, jarring today. Um, I was surprised, I mean, you know, at, at how well it worked, honestly. I mean, I think it works really well in the film. I think it's not overused. I think that's part of it, you know? Yeah. Whereas a lot of these sort of electronic scores uh, from that era do kind of cheap instruments. Um, you know, even beyond that issue... Uh, there's just the like it's just it's too overt it's too loud it's too much part of the like over, overt texture of the film um whereas this i feel like blends really perfectly with the uh the sort of what's going on on screen and so it doesn't um it never feels like it's trying to tell me how to feel about a particular moment and that comes down to the direction as well um, mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful score obviously and worth uh, checking out on its own <laughs> yeah i own it played a lot so it's one of my favorite scores. DVD info for this. There was a DVD Blu-ray release in like 2013, 2014. But when that was released, um, the DVD actually was a different print than the uh, than the Blu-ray. Like the Blu-ray was actually remastered and the DVD was just like a standard copy from a previous release or whatever. So, oh, that's, that's yeah, so, great. So Fredkin wasn't too too happy with that and apparently he... He got a uh, reissue of it. That's uh, actually, if you, if you buy it, it has a uh, seal saying this is this is the sticker on it or whatever saying this is the approved version from Freakin. So get this one and and uh, like I have the just the standard copy and it's like yeah, it is a pretty muddy print. Like it looks fine, but it's 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 muddy as fuck. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, there you go. The, those are sort of your best choices there. The Warner Brothers uh, releases from. Uh, 2014, I believe it is. Yeah, there you go. That's I, I guess that's Sorcerer. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, mean, I like how you said it was like, it almost seems like, you know, just four random people from four other movies. And it always yeah. it just automatically made me think of, it, what if the guy from the van was in it instead? <laughs> like, things like that. Let's put some what other... If, what if instead of the Nazi... It's it's like a, the ginger rapist just shows up. The ginger rapist shows up instead. I mean, what was gonna? What would happen then? Or or the cool kid from prom night. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he can drive a truck. You know he can. Yeah, yeah. No, it was funny. Uh, I was I was talking to Daniel last night, and I was telling him about the uh, podcast I listened to called the Grind Bin, where the first episode they did, they did the van, and mm-hmm. and every subsequent episode. They basically have this ending segment where they try to inject the characters from the van 
into the movie <laughs> that they've watched and, nice. and they, they try to come up with a separate plot. So you always get these different plots with Bobby and Danny DeVito, you know, getting up to shenanigans and whatever fucking movie they've watched. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, so, that's good. Yeah. So you, 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 no, you really, really what this film needed though was uh, more Vinnie Jones. <laughs> uh, fucking trucks. Fuck. You've <laughs> got uh, to be kidding me, sunshine. But uh, yeah, or, or um, ah, fuck it. Let's let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having I'm having too many fucking brain farts tonight. Where yeah, I'm, I, I can't think, think of Gregory Peck. So let's just keep going. Yeah, I, I've already lost the plot. Um, so, so how about we just put John Holmes and Gregory Peck in and see what happens? Yeah, couldn't hurt. <laughs> John Holmes into Gregory Peck. Yeah, the Moby yeah, Dick tells... all the way in. Yeah. <laughs> That's a white whale of a tail right there. That's right. Oh, there's there's going to be sperm in that whale. Lots of oil being used. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I uh, love the shots of them uh, repairing the trucks. I love the. I love, uh, oh, yeah. I love the repairing, in the middle where like, like they have to like you know scavenge for parts and uh, yeah that was that was a really cool little scene. It's it's fun. It's funny how much we just don't do this in films anymore. But there's a very kind of blue collar vibe to this in terms of like you know we're just there's lots of like sequences of people like welding or mm-hmm. you know moving things or you know waving each other into corners and stuff. And um, I don't know. There's something very like almost soothing just in like how. Um, resolutely working class, so much of that is, you know? Well, at the yeah. same time, I was watching it going, okay, how much time has elapsed and how much shit has this French businessman got up to to learn how to do this? Because mm-hmm. he just like, oh, give me that damn wrench. I'm good. It, it, it just, it just seems like uh, it, it just seems like there was a period of time where it was expected that every man knew how to work on a fucking vehicle. <laughs> So it's like it's just it's just believable back in those older movies. Now you don't believe it when you see it because you you see Will Ferrell or someone working on a car. It's like no, yeah, I don't believe fuck? that at all. I don't believe that <laughs> shit at all. But I mean, if you were watching something like this or something with Steve McQueen or Lee Marvin or something like that, sure he could build a truck out of scrap. Like he, he they could they could build a whole fucking fleet of trucks out of fucking I, scrap. I mean, I, we grew up watching MacGyver. You can watch. You, they can do shit that you just don't can't even believe. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's some good like I always like a good sort of gearing up montage, you know, oh, hell where yeah. they're where they're just they're getting everything ready and they're getting everything set and uh it almost so for a while it makes us kind of a man on a mission or men on a mission kind of film, you know, because there's always the gear up scene where the group gets together and gets everything ready before they go on the on the mission or whatever. So, yeah, so it's it's, it's all good stuff. Um I love this film. And uh, we'll move on. Uh, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the other webs. Uh, check me out on Twitter. That's the best way to get a hold of me and um, chat with me or figure out what I'm into these days. Um, I'm at Daniel Lee Harper. All right. Uh, Paul, where can people find you? PA Brew News, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Oil Paintings by Paul Romaley, or P. Romaley at Facebook. Cool. And you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all our links to iTunes, YouTube, Facebook. Join our Facebook group, as said before, and always. It's the best place to get a hold of us and ask questions, leave comments, leave hate mail, uh, leave suggestions for movies you want to see us do. Not sure what we're doing next. I want to do Southern Comfort, trying to arrange a Pairing up with uh, Gary Hill and his co-host X from Cinema Beef. We're sort of in the works of trying to get that done. 
if not that, it might end up being the last wave, which was requested by someone on our Facebook group. But uh, we'll we'll keep you guys in the loop. If you're if you're on the Facebook group, you will see what's coming up a few days ahead of time. So there you go. But uh, until then, uh, thank you guys for joining me, and thank all you out there for listening. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes and links to our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook group, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to other podcasts and websites of similar interest. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review. Please join our Facebook group, as it's the single best place to get in contact with the hosts and to know what's coming up on the podcast. Thank you. Drive through.